0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. You ready? Yeah. Go ahead. There once was a time in my life when I was addicted to drugs and had no hope. There was once a time in my life when I dealt with anxiety and worried about things I really couldn't control. There once was a time in my life when I was a slave to my addiction of perfectionism and workaholism. I had a deep-seated fear of rejection and abandonment. There was a time in my life where I was a hypocrite and dealt with a lot of shame. There was a time in my life when I was overcome with anxiety and a need to feel in control. Lived for my own glory. Anxious. Guilty. There once was a time in my life when I was deceitful and selfish. There once was a time when I was very anxious and angry at my parents. Filled with guilt and shame. Bitter. Kept lots of secrets. Uncertainty. Unable to love myself and others. Worried about what people thought of me. Afraid of failure. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Easter here at Seabreeze. We're glad you've joined us today. For me, there once was a time in my life When I had lost hope. I was often consumed with worry. I found it very difficult to sleep. And my guess is that you have a story that is like mine, that is like theirs. You might use different words to describe the struggles you faced in life, but you know what it is to struggle. And that's because to be alive is to struggle. We have two kinds of life, and therefore we have a struggle for each type of life. We have a physical life, we have a body, and we have a spiritual life, we have a soul. And we struggle in both realms. The life we live in our bodies exists on the spectrum of health, from healthy to unhealthy. And so we struggle with our health, especially as we get older in life. And we are continually trying to do what we can to push back on health, and we're trying to push back the eventuality of our death. And it's a struggle. But the life that we live as souls exists on the spectrum of happiness, from happy to unhappy. And it's also a struggle. It's a struggle to push back the sadness, the setbacks, the disappointments of life. Now of the two kinds of life and the two kinds of struggle, happiness, our soul, turns out to be the most important one to us. And so we are struggling to always find happiness some try to find happiness with their accomplishments. Some look to money to buy them happiness. Others look for happiness in the arms of someone else, the love of somebody else. And others look for happiness in a mood-altering chemical or substance, or they look for happiness in an experience. But these kinds of sources of happiness never last for long. They always fade. They always are drained from us. And Jesus offers us a better way to deal with the struggle of our soul. Here's what he says in John 10.10 about himself. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this is not a filling that drains slowly over time and must be refilled like all of the other kinds of sources of happiness. Jesus later referred to himself as the spring of living water. This is the kind of filling that comes from God on the inside of us not from the outside in, but on the inside. And like a spring, it bubbles up and actually overflows and is a great blessing to other people as we learn how to love them and serve them. Our happiness solutions are external circumstances, something we must experience from the outside, something we must ingest from the outside, something we must do from the outside, and it has to be replenished over and over and over again. So how can Jesus make good on this offer. How can he bring us the kind of life that is not just full and doesn't drain, but keeps welling up in us? Well, it's because of what occurred 2,000 years ago on the day that we have gathered to celebrate today, the day of his resurrection. The best summary of the events that took place on that weekend 2,000 years ago are found in what many refer to as the most familiar verse in the Bible, and that is John 3.16. Here's what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave... His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we know what physical life is. We have a general awareness of spiritual life, but what exactly is eternal life, another kind of life? Well, to understand eternal life, we have to start first with understanding the word eternal. That's where we begin. Now, if you're taking notes today, we're going to be drawing a diagram. We're not going to be sharing an outline. This will be a diagram. So you're welcome, if you're taking physical notes, to draw along with us. If you're using the app and taking digital notes, we already have put the diagram in there, so you can rest assured you have it, you don't need to worry about keeping track of it, and you can just follow along on the screen behind me. God himself is eternal. He has no beginning, he has no end. He's always been, and he always will be. God does not have a past that he cannot get back to. He does not have a future that he is uncertain of. He exists outside of time. He is eternal. But God chose to create temporal reality. It's represented by this oval. And inside this temporal oval, he puts space and time. Space is the container in which all of physical reality exists. Time is the context in which physical reality moves and advances forward. So everything that exists inside this temporal oval has a past, it has a present, and it has a future, exists on the timeline. Now, God didn't just put inanimate objects like stars and planets and chemicals into this temporal oval. He put life itself into this oval. Now, most of the life forms that God put in this temporary oval are temporary themselves. In other words, they live for a while, and then they die, and then they're gone. But God made one kind of life that was unique from the others, completely different from the others, and that is us, humankind. He made us in his image. This is what he says in Genesis 1, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. What this means is that there are certain aspects of who we are, of the kind of life that we have, that makes us different from every other kind of life, and similar to God because we reflect His image in these ways. For example, like God, we create. We are creative. Now, we don't create as amazingly as God does, but like God, we can bring into existence things that never existed before things that we can imagine and then bring into reality. So we are artists, and we love art. We paint, and this year new songs will be written that have never been sung before, and we will be singing new songs this next year because we are creative. New things will be invented this year that no one has ever imagined. That's been true of every year in human history. We are always creating. We are always inventing. Because unlike every other life form, we are made in God's image. We are different. Like God, we are also moral beings. What that means is we have a very, very strong sense of right and wrong. Now, we may not agree on what is right. We may not agree on what is wrong. But, boy, we have a strong sense of morality. that is, if someone does something we think is wrong, we feel moral outrage. There's this sense inside of us that they shouldn't do that, that is wrong. And we get that because God himself is moral. He is the one who says what is right and what is wrong, and we reflect that because we are made in His image. And it also means that, like God, our life has an eternal component to it. We have souls. That is the core of who we are that will outlive this temporal oval. Our bodies will not, but our souls will. Now, the first man and the first woman, the first of this kind of life, Adam and Eve, decided to step outside of God's moral boundaries, moral design for them, and they disobeyed God. It was the first sin, and it created distance between them and God. But the impact went far beyond just the two of them. It was kind of like dropping black ink into a clear glass of water. It just tainted everything that followed. All of their descendants, all of us, all of humankind is now tainted by sin, by our sin, and by the sin of those around us. And we live in a world now that is tainted by sin. And this is called the fall. It's called the fall because at the point that sin entered into the world, history kept marching forward, time kept marching forward, but at a much lower level. The events of history became much darker because of the effects of sin. The term for this lower timeline in the Bible is spiritual death. Because death marks separation. You know, when someone dies that we love physically, we are separated from them. In a similar way, when we sin, we put distance between ourselves and God. And that has brought about a spiritual death that puts our relationship with God in the dark. God is still present, but we have turned our back on him. We have closed our eyes to what he says, and we now feel our way forward, much like someone in a dark room with their eyes closed, bumping and stumbling over things that God could have warned us about if we had decided to listen, but we think we know better. But thankfully, God did not walk away from the oval, the temporal oval, because of this. He did not turn from us like we have turned from him. He is still at work in the middle of this darkened world, this temporal oval. In fact, it turns out that this oval has God holes in it, ways in which God interjects himself into space and time. He is still involved. God designed this oval with incredible complexity, amazing structure. And we refer to these designs as the laws of nature or the laws of science. And as science keeps advancing, we are learning more and more about how complex and how amazing and really how elegant and beautiful the design of this temporal oval is. But this oval is not like an amazing watch that God designed and then snapped it closed and wound it up for it to run on its own. God often entered into this temporal oval in time and space to do the unnatural We refer to those as miracles. And God has done this on the timeline at different points, not for entertainment, not to scare us, not to confuse us, but he has always attached his miracles to something he wanted to say about himself or about us. And without the miracles, we wouldn't know that it was God who was saying this. We would think it was just this person coming up with some big idea that they thought of on their own. But God uses the unnatural, the miraculous, to let us know that it is his name that is signed to these words. These are not just human words. For example, God appeared to Moses thousands of years ago in a burning bush that would not stop burning. That is not natural. If you encounter a burning bush that will not stop burning, get it checked out. Maybe get yourself checked out because that's not normal. But that's what Moses encountered. And it was God's way of saying, I am speaking to you. You are not hallucinating. This is real. And then God told Moses that he would lead his people and he would use Moses to teach them his ways. Later, he gave Moses the Ten Commandments that we still know today. But before Moses returns from the desert where he saw the burning bush, to carry out what God asks him to do. He has a great question of God. He says, God, how are they going to know that you are the one that sent me? That's a great question. A man goes out into the desert all by himself, comes back, says he saw a burning bush. What would you think? People hallucinate all the time in the heat of the desert. Clearly, some kind of mirage, something going on. Moses knows this. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how amazing the story is. How can I verify that you're the one that said this? So God says, well, you see that staff in your hand? He had a staff. He said, I want you to throw it on the ground. As soon as he threw it on the ground, it became a snake. He said, now touch it, grab it by the tail. As soon as he touched it by the tail, it returned to be a stick. Now, that is not natural. There is no science that can explain how would that happen. That's what we call supernatural. Super means above, and natural means what normally occurs. And so anytime anyone questioned, is God really the one who told you this? I'm sure Moses would get out, you know, he'd do the snake trick. But it wasn't a trick. It was a miracle. It wasn't magic. It wasn't an illusion. It was supernatural. It was God signing his name saying, I am speaking through Moses. Now, science, especially in the last 100 years, has been a tremendous blessing to all of us. It has improved our lives so much. But what is occurring increasingly is many are beginning to think and have concluded that we don't really need God. In fact, they have decided that the oval, for practical purposes and maybe actual purposes, is closed. There is nothing outside of the oval. There are no God holes. It's just us. It's just nature. It's just matter. That's it. And there is no need for God. But while science has improved and brought light into our physical lives, We remain in the dark spiritually as humankind. And what's amazing is that at the same time when science has advanced our life tremendously in the past hundred years and elevated us in all kinds of ways, the spiritual death timeline continues to march on, unraised. In fact, the past 100 years have been referred to many as the bloodiest century on record. Shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, a former Secretary of State for our nation said this, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to this kind of thing. Now, he's a smart guy, but that is incredibly naive and wishful thinking, especially for a Secretary of State who would get daily briefings on how horrible this world is. So it turns out that science is so helpful, but it's inadequate for everything that we need. We have tried to find a basis for morals inside this temporal oval, but without any real authority above and outside of the oval telling us what is right and wrong, people keep finding ways to justify horrible things. And we've tried to find a sense of purpose inside the oval, but without an eternal voice telling us, yes, well done. We continue to feel empty. And now what's occurring is increasingly people are talking about the Oval and to the Oval as if it's God itself. A few years ago, I heard Jim Carrey in a commencement speech say to the students who are graduating that if they ever needed help, what they should do is ask the universe for help. I don't know what you learned in science, but what I learned in science is the universe is matter. The universe consists of inanimate objects. And what that means is it can't help me any more than this music stand can. It's it's not alive. It's not a person. So why are so many people making the universe sound like a person and talking about the universe as if they can speak to it and it can speak to them? It's because we are made in the image of God, and we will say and do the strangest things to try to talk to someone outside of this temporal realm. We look for input beyond the oval. But it turns out our problem is bigger than just the struggles of this life and the darkness of this life. Our personal timelines are all progressing until our bodies do die. And at that time, our eternal soul leaves the temporal realm and enters into the eternal realm. Our bodies don't, but our soul does. And at that point, what was only a spiritual death inside the temporal realm now becomes an eternal death because it's in the eternal realm. What that means is the darkness and the separation from God that was true of us in this life becomes permanent. But it actually gets darker because in the temporal realm, the spiritual darkness that we experience right now is not a total darkness. It's not a total distance from God because we're living in the reflected light of God's creation, in the beauty of it. And there's joy that comes from that. And we're living in the company of other people. There really is goodness and joy that comes out of relationships and community. But in the eternal realm, the only light that there is is God. We will not be in this temporal realm. We will not be able to see a sunset. We will not be able to go to dinner with a friend. God is the only light. And if we have separated ourselves from God, what we will experience is complete and absolute isolation and utter darkness. But God so loved the world. You. Me, that he was unwilling to let the consequences of our sin plunge us into eternal darkness and in an isolation from him for all of eternity. So he opened up the biggest gap of all between the eternal and the temporal oval, and he gave his one and only Son. His name was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was God in flesh. God actually took on a body. Why did God take on a body and enter the temporal oval and be born in space and time? It's because he was going to save us, and he did. Jesus, after living on this timeline for about 33 years, was crucified on a cross in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Now, since he was more than just a human, because he was God in flesh... His death was an eternal kind of death, an eternal payment. And on that cross, Jesus faced the eternal horror that is our future. I don't know if you remember, but one of the things Jesus says on the cross as he's dying is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason he said that is because he was experiencing what eternal death will be like. The horror of the absence of God's presence. And he was God in flesh. He was experiencing it on our behalf. He died a death he did not deserve to give us a life that we do not deserve. And then he rose from the grave on the day that we celebrate now, and 40 days after that he ascended back up into heaven, back into the eternal realm. So the event that we celebrate today proved that Jesus was not just another good man dying an unjust death. There's a lot of those stories. But it proved that he was, in fact, God in flesh, dying in eternal death in our place and bringing us eternal life. This was the supernatural event to end all supernatural events, the miracle to beat all miracles. If Jesus had only died, it would be another tragic story. But because he rose from the dead and was, was seen walking around after people had seen him dead by thousands of people, That was God's ultimate signature, that this is me. I did this. This is real. And the reason Jesus did this is to give us life from eternity. And that event created an alternative timeline in the temporal realm. Now, instead of moving forward in spiritual death, we can move forward in spiritual life. We move out of the dark with regard to God, and step into His light. If we do that, we'll still face the shadows of life in this broken world. There'll still be tears. There'll still be pain. But rather than just feel our way forward and bump our heads and our bodies into the obstacles of life, God is actually able to guide us forward in the temporal realm. And then, when we do die, our eternal soul leaves the temporal realm and enters the eternal realm. And so what began as spiritual life inside the temporal realm then becomes eternal life in the eternal realm, just like eternal death does. At that point, when we enter into the eternal realm, the powerful light of God's presence and His words that have guided us in this life are no longer dimmed by the temporal world that we live in. At that point, we will stand in the full light of God's presence. And in that light, we will experience a joy that is completely untouched by tears. And we will experience a relationship with God and with others that is untainted by sin. In other words, at that point, we will experience the culmination of what we can begin to taste now. We will experience the kind of life that God intended it to be, eternal life. The big question is, how do we get off the spiritual death timeline and onto the life one? Our life is eternal, but will we exit in eternal death or in eternal life? How do we switch timelines? John 3.16 says it very clearly, whoever believes in him and Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. So believing in Jesus is how we attach our lives to his life and therefore our future to his future. It's how we change timelines. So what does that mean to believe in Jesus? Does it just mean we believe he exists? I mean, almost everyone believes he exists. The evidence of history is so convincing, you find it hard to find someone that doesn't think Jesus was a real person who lived about 2,000 years ago in Palestine. No, it means more than just, I believe someone exists. You know, when someone says to me or to you, I believe in you, They're saying more than just, I can see that you exist. They're saying, I have confidence in you. And usually they're saying, I'm willing, therefore, to trust you with some aspect of my life because I believe in you. This is what happens when two people marry each other. They believe in each other enough to tie their futures to each other. So to believe in Jesus, then, is to be confident enough in who he claimed to be, what he said, what he did, and what he promised to actually attach your life and your future to him. Not just your after-you-die future, but your now future. So who did Jesus claim to be? Well, we are told by angels on the night of his birth. Again, supernatural event, signature of God. Here's what they said, Luke 2, verse 11, Behold, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This introduced us to the two words that were used and continue to be used to describe what Jesus claimed to be able to do for you and me, Savior and Lord. What does it mean? Well, first, Savior. Savior means to save, to rescue. So as Savior, Jesus came to rescue us from the consequences of sin, to lift us from the spiritual death timeline. It was his eternal death on the cross that paid our sin debt and freed us from the gravity that continual downward pull of our sin. And it was his resurrection that proved that he had the power over death and he really could change a life. He has the power to lift us from the death timeline onto the life timeline. So we are moved from the death timeline from life to death, or from death rather to life, whenever we ask Jesus to be our Savior. And that is a decision that will forever change our path. What about Lord? That means that Jesus is your authority. Probably the best way in our culture to say it, he's the boss. See, Jesus came not only to die in our place, but to show us and teach us how to live in light of God's truth. So to make Jesus our Lord means that we submit to him, and we stop living life our own way. Practically, this means when we make decisions, big decisions, small decisions. We don't do what we normally do, which is, I'm just going to do whatever I think is right or whatever I want to do. No, we have a boss now. We check in with him. We read his words in the Bible to get instruction on what values he has and what perspective he has on this decision in this area of life and we learn over time how to follow him. So having been saved by Jesus, we now move forward in time with Jesus as our Lord. So eternal life has kind of a two-dimensional component or transaction to it. Vertically, first, we are raised from death to life. Then horizontally, we are guided forward on the timeline from now to eternity. Now, the Savior dimension is invisible. If you decide and have already decided maybe that you need Jesus to save you, and you ask him, you admit your sin, you ask him to forgive you, then you have been elevated from the death timeline to the life timeline. But no one looking at you can see that. You decide to have Jesus as your Savior. You don't walk two inches higher off the ground. You don't glow at night. You, you look exactly the same. No one can see that transaction. But the Lord dimension does show up. If you decide to follow Jesus as Savior, it will show up in the fact that He's going to change your life. Because this is not an option A, option B. Do you want just a Savior thing or with a little bit of Lord, or do you want Lord with no Savior? It's one person. Jesus is Savior and Lord. And if you asked him to be your Savior, it will show up in a changed life. Not a perfect life, but over time a changed life. So let's hear now the rest of the story from the people we heard at the beginning about how Jesus, their Savior and their Lord, is changing them. Let's take a look at this. There was a time in my life when I was overcome with anxiety and a need to feel in control. But then I was forgiven by Jesus, and I chose to follow Him. And now my life has stability and joy. Do you have a story like that? There once was a time when I was very anxious and angry at my parents. But then I I got to know Jesus and decided to follow Him. Now my life has a lot more peace and hope. Do you have a story like that? There once was a time in my life when I was deceitful and selfish but I was forgiven by Christ and decided to follow his ways. Now my life has openness and patience. Do you have a story like that? There was once a time in my life when I dealt with anxiety and worried about things I really couldn't control. Hypocrite. Kept lots of secrets. Afraid of failure. Filled with guilt and shame. Uncertainty. Shame. Bitter. Perfectionism, workaholism. Unable to love myself and others. Lived for my own glory. Worried about what people thought of me. But I found Jesus. Uh, I asked him for forgiveness and accepted him into my heart. And then I was forgiven by Jesus, and I started to follow him. Was forgiven by Jesus and decided to follow him. And now I am filled with contentment, and I feel safe in his arms. Peace. Joy. Now I want to live for God's glory. Peace. Freedom. Compassion. Comfort. Peace. Contentment. More honest with myself. More honest with others. Jesus has taken my shame away. Hope for the future. What about you? Do you have a story like that? 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 Do you have a story like like this? There once was a time in my life when I was addicted to drugs and had no hope. But then I was forgiven by Jesus and decided to follow him and now I've been clean for nine years and have an eternal hope. Do you have a story like this? So, do you have a story like that? It all depends on which timeline you're on, not how good you are morally, but what timeline you're on. Maybe, like so many, you're under the illusion that you can be good enough to elevate your life to the higher timeline. But we cannot ever jump high enough to escape our own sinful hearts. Some people are better than others. Some people can jump higher than others. But no one can jump this high. Only the risen Christ has the power to lift a life that high. So there's no time to waste on this decision. The reason is because the oval is temporary. We never know how long our timeline in that oval is. And once it's over, the window of opportunity is closed, and the path that you and I exit on becomes the path that we will stay on for all of eternity. So do not delay this decision. If you're ready to make this decision today, we'd love to know about it. We'd like to be able to help you. So on those connection cards that Dale talked about, just check that box that indicates you've made this decision. Or if you do it on the app, do it there too. If you have questions, which is great, if you have questions, some things you don't understand, and you would like to talk to someone about all of what we've talked about, then let us know also on those connection cards, and we'll get in touch with you. John 3.16, again, says this, For God so loved the world, you, me, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin a new series of messages we're calling How to Bounce Back. Uh, Through the ups and downs and struggles of life, uh, we could always use some bounce back help. Now, we talk about Jesus being Lord, and so in this series, we're going to talk about six words that Jesus introduces us to that are the key to bouncing back from any setback in life. So I invite you to join us next Sunday and the Sundays that follow as we we look through what Jesus has to say about how to bounce back. Let's pray. Jesus... um, we find it hard to find the words to understand or to thank you for the tremendous sacrifice you made. It was amazing and mind-bending enough that you would actually take on a body and endure the challenges of life, and that you would allow yourself to be arrested, unjustly tried, falsely accused, mocked, spit on, whipped, beaten, and then crucified so that you would die a death that we don't deserve so that you could give us a life that we don't deserve. We thank you. And we thank you for the life that you offer us now. Not just An eternal life that we have to wait for, but an eternal life that, that cracks into our present life and begins to bring light out of where darkness has been and begins to push back the shadows of the sadness. We thank you, and we pray that you would help us to follow you and you would continue to change us and help us to submit to you. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.